Hello and welcome to the first episode of Kicking Cancer Into Touch. My name is Kieran Bracken and joining me in telling about her story is my little sister, Louise Bracken, um, who was diagnosed not too long ago with cervical cancer. And this podcast is really to record her journey, talk about the highs and lows, her fight to, to stay alive, and just to get the message out there that, you know, if you have the the patience and the willpower that uh, you can come through. So, Louise, first of all, I'd just like to, the obvious question is, why did you want to do this podcast in the first place? To be honest, I felt very let down by the whole system the first time around. Um, I'm obviously dealing with secondary cancer now, and I just feel that there was so much information that I didn't have access to. Um, I was really ill first time around, and... I just feel I'm stumbling across information now. I'm doing so much research that I just feel that it should be shared with other people. And if there's one person who can benefit from the information I'm finding, then I think this podcast is worth it. Because obviously the, the wonderful story of Dame Deborah James, um, you know, who, who actually got got the podcast out there and helped so many people and the cancer the, the cancer charity has said that a lot of people are now checking you know their stools and, and and checking for cancer which is absolutely fantastic and like you say if you can help one person i think it's absolutely amazing i think just for the you know for the listeners and the viewers it'd be let, let's just give a synopsis of of where you are today and the background of your cancer sure um well today i'm in round four of a six round chemos um, program and I've I'm in round four of immunotherapy which will be a two-year program from sort of end of June the history is um, I had a bike crash in January 17th January 2021 um, it was a pretty nasty crash 40 kilometers an hour um, going along with my ladies race team fell off hit the deck quite hard smashed my head broke a rib and um, cycle team being the cycle team were like come on get back on you know we can we can finish the ride, um, which I did for sort of 10 minutes, but I kind of knew that, you know, all wasn't well. So the story spiralled from there, actually. I um, just got progressively unwell from that day. Um, I had terrible concussion. I remember calling you numerous times, Kieran, saying, do you think I should train today? And I think I was going to go in the sea and you, you literally said, look, if you get in that sea today, you might actually die. So... Yeah, I got progressively iller and iller and eventually had a blood test. Um, and that blood test showed that I had a CRP, which is an inflammatory marker. Um, and the the marker should be around five. And mine was over the jersey's limit of what it can be, which was over 250. Um, so the doctor phoned me that day and said, look, I think you um, need to come into the surgery and we probably need to get you into hospital to which I replied it's my son's birthday tomorrow and sorry I'm busy and can't come so um yeah I ended up in hospital then for a week and um it was just a mystery to everybody and um, they pumped me full of antibiotics at that time they thought I had a bleed within my body and that it had been infected which had led to the high CRP level. So they pumped me with antibiotics. The team were really out of their depth in terms of what was going on and just decided to change the medication after a week, obviously not finding anything. They did scan all different parts of my body, but I think my abdomen was the last part because I, you know, I, I, amongst everybody else would say, no, it's my head, it's my head. And that's when they discovered the tumour, which was pretty large. It was 5.5 centimetres. So they're pretty 
shock all our worlds from then. Wasn't it Jane who who spoke to them and said, "Look, can you please scan the abdomen? I'm sure it's something to do with that." And and and, and let's also talk about you know why cervical cancer you know is the silent killer where you know it can be there and no one knows before it's too late. So so tell us about that. So we have a sister Jane, and for those who don't know, we've got there's four kids in our family. There's Louise, myself, my big brother John, and uh, Jane, my sister, who's a dentist, who's pretty hardcore headmasterist type type personality and um when she wants to get something done she gets it she gets it done so you know for us hearing that possibly you had cancer i mean it was a massive shock and having our little sister you know the 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 youngest of all of us was was really hard for us to take but but tell us that story of that moment where she she demands a second scan of your abdomen to, to have another check yeah i mean you know having team jane on your side is is pretty awesome um she nursed me through both rounds as it were yeah and i think jane's attitude is just don't take no for an answer and just relentless with questions and relentless with double checking the information and getting second opinions and as the patient it's quite exhausting you know to be sort of uh, you know surely that you know that they're, they're doing their best you know i'm in the best hands when actually you need somebody like her who's got the energy to just fight your corner and say no this isn't good enough you know and at that point I was I was really really unwell I was having these cold sweats and you know I'd literally be sleeping 16 hours a day and my bed would be completely soaking wet it was like someone had poured a bucket over my bed Um, and I wasn't you know I'm not a sweaty person but I was just losing a kilogram by kilogram every time I went to sleep so yeah I mean back to the cervical cancer being a silent killer I mean that's that's the frightening part of all of this you know we spoke last night Kieran didn't we about sort of skipping through life and being on autopilot and I think you know people going for their smears becomes a bit of an inconvenience and just not top of mind for people you know people's health just becomes important when it's an issue not not when it's you know preventative and I think um you know we're very lucky now we've got the HPV vaccine which has you know, depleted this cancer that I've got by 90%. It's eradicated it enormously. The figures are amazing. But obviously, when we grew up, there was no HPV vaccine. But, you know, I, I was definitely guilty of, oh, you know, I'll put it off. I'll, you know, I don't need to have that smear. But the interesting thing about my story is I did actually have a smear in February 2020. And it came back and said it was a clear smear, but I did have traces of the virus HPV. Um, but, you know, the narrative at the bottom of the letter said no further action required you know and as part of when they discovered that i had a 5.5 centimeter tumor how long it had been there obviously no one knows six months a year who knows um they did go back they keep these biopsies um jersey where i live send them off to um, a place in bristol a hospital in bristol and they then did go back to the original smear sample uh, and, and and test it and that's when they were able to determine the type of cancer that i had and I have an adenoma carcinoma type of cancer. So yeah, long answer to your question, but um. But just just uh, as as it happens, my, my my wife went for a smear yes yesterday. But yeah, she put she puts it off quite a lot because it's quite painful, and she just thinks oh, it'll be fine. But but obviously not now. So so the thing is, obviously you're in Jersey. Um, they're treating you for sepsis and then suddenly they, they see this scan um, and they see this huge, what you could only describe as an orange in your cervix. And obviously then they look at all the tests and they say, hang on a sec, this is really serious. What what was really strange though, 
for us as a family and bewildering and and obviously medicine is always changing but what was bewildering was the fact that um you were getting these night sweats and you were losing all of this weight and you still felt you had concussion um yet you'd have had this scary diagnosis that you need to fly over to, uh, to the Royal Marsden and, and get checked by the you know the, the the eminent surgeons and the strange thing was that what you were suffering though didn't seem to be a normal occurrence with cervical cancer in the sense that you know you were you were really struggling and you you know you you were awake for like a third or a quarter of the day and you were having these sweats where you'd almost go into a fit where your body would shut down and you know you couldn't eat and within a couple of weeks you'd lost the stone to stone and we were all thinking what's going on and at the same time there was this message that it's cancer but we all thought actually no there's something else going going on because you know we talk about when you got to the, to the royal mars and you spoke to the specialists to say why am i getting these fits and they were like well that's not a symptom of of your cancer so that from your point of view though you must have felt so lost in that journey of of actually someone saying we think you're cancer but by the way all of these sweats is not related whatsoever how, how did you feel then mentally to, to to understand what was going on yeah um, i mean i remember going to the marsden and almost not getting in because they take your temperature at the door and i was over 39 degrees so i then had to get a special letter from the consultant to say that i was having these conditions that meant that I was having this spike in temperature um yeah I mean it was it was pretty horrendous the whole you know symptoms that I was facing but they couldn't explain it really um but when they did take a biopsy they felt that um it was narcotic the tumor which meant it was kind of falling apart it was kind of had been there and was rotting and maybe it was sending signals to my body to say look you know there's something here that shouldn't be here um but I remember being in and out of various meetings and I think mostly with you actually, Kieran, and just lying on the bed and just being so unable to even sit up and even have the conversation with them about how I felt that day. Um, and they'd ask lots of questions and, you know, they they were talking about hospitalising me, um, which I'm, I'm pleased they didn't. Um, but I was just very fortunate that my parents came to live in London with me and um, they were able to sort of look after me and change my clothes four times in the night and then my sister came and and did the same for the next three months basically what i found amazing was when i was in front of the the the, the surgeon uh the specialist and um basically he, he he put the image up which um which we'll show on this podcast we show the image and um my eyes were just like transfixed on the size the absolute enormity of this that was in your body that had somehow got there within a few months i mean it was just enormous and i remember looking at you and sort of shaking my head and you were like whoa and then you turned to him and you said well at least it's, it's not in my head is it i looked at him and he, he was like no it's, it's not in your head it's just it's in your cervix and it's um it's we, we found some in your lymph nodes as well. Maybe that was later, but I just remember you looking at me, oh, thank God I haven't got brain cancer. Cause you, you thought it was a lot worse. And I, I thought it was absolutely terrible. <laughs> I was thinking, oh my God, it you like seeing the, the, the upside of it. I just couldn't understand how you were so positive because I think you convinced yourself that you were near death's door 
And then when he said you haven't got brain cancer, you were like, oh, thank God. Yeah, I, I don't remember that, but I can quite believe that that's how I felt. But there was some, there was some comedy moments there, wasn't there, in that in that hospital that time? Well, yeah, because the, 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 once you had the diagnosis, and the hilarious thing was, and uh, we talk about Jane, our sister, being the headmistress, and she wants something done. But uh, for the listeners and viewers, it's quite embarrassing because Jane, my sister, said uh, said that she wants to be on the call while you're getting diagnosed. So I asked him if it was okay, and he wasn't actually that happy. We kind of was, but he wasn't. So we get Jane on the call while we get the diagnosis, and then Jane's sort of firing all these questions, and you and I are sitting there going, oh, my God, this is so embarrassing. But she just wouldn't let it lie. It was supposed to be a 20-minute. It lasted 45 minutes, but she got all the information that we needed. But then we went for a blood test. So we're sitting in there for a blood test and I'm devastated and you're over the moon <laughs> because you haven't got brain cancer. And I'm thinking this is absolutely shocking. But in those moments, you, you're getting a blood test and the lady came in and her English wasn't great. Um, she was um, Malaysian and she said, uh, she started in a broken English. She said, uh, you know, you know, because we'll give, bring you to lunch while you do the blood test. She said, uh, have you got any allergies? And you said, um, yes, uh, uh, shellfish. And she looked and you said, she said, what, you're shellfish? And I said, uh, yes, yeah, she's really shellfish. And so we had this laugh and she, and she didn't understand the joke. We were in fits of laughter about you being selfish, uh, but really allergic to shellfish. But she didn't know what to bring you for food. And we couldn't stop laughing. Moment of absolute despair, you know? Yeah, it was it was it was funny. There are there are so many comedy moments with all of this, um, and that was definitely right up there with one of them. So now we've had the diagnosis. I mean, you're very lucky. You've got you've got Jane, who, who who's in the medical world, being a dentist. But then, you know, you've also got friends who've, who've helped you. So when I picked you up from the airport, you couldn't come via normal plane. You were too sick, and basically, you had some friends of yours. For those who don't know, Louise lives in Jersey. And sometimes, you know, Jersey's quite handy because there's quite wealthy people there. But one of your best friends flew you over and I, I basically picked you up on the runway. It was, it was like proper, um, you know, famous star style. But, um, but yeah, you had some friends who had a pad in, in literally around the corner from the Marsden who let you stay there the whole, the whole time you were ill for, I don't know, 10, 12 weeks, which was amazing. So you had a great support behind you, didn't you? Yeah, I mean, unbelievable. I mean, I'm so blessed. Um, and yeah, quite challenging for the doctors every time there's a call. There's there's my sister, my husband, it's being recorded, you're with me, you know, they're not dealing with one individual. But yeah, I was very fortunate. There was no way I don't think I could have actually got onto an actual commercial plane. I just would, I, just, I was just too ill. My sort of hour of awake, the day I actually tried only 35 minutes. And then like you said, you met me Bond style on the runway. I mean, how blessed am I? You know, and the sad bit about this, that so many people going through this journey by themselves. I mean, yeah. you know, so if I get through this and I will get through this, I've got to dedicate my time to trying to help people who are actually going through this by themselves and helping them navigate the all, all of this, because it's just, it's, 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 it's relentless, you know, and like I said to you, it's a full-time job being ill. It really is. And on, on that note, and, um, you know, we're near the end of this episode, but um, obviously for the next episodes, I'd like to focus on the treatment. Um, I'd like to talk about that. I'd like to focus on the family 
um, dynamic. I'd like to focus on the coping strategies that you've got when you're told, you know, that it's come back. But but let's just talk about so so you've had the diagnosis, you had the radiation, um, the radiation worked, um, and it got rid of the cancer that was um it, you know, the cervical cancer, which is amazing. So my understanding was the cancer was too big to take it out, so they had to do radiation. And they found that there was some cancer in your uh, stomach in the lymph nodes. They zapped them, and basically you were in remission, and everything was great, and you were going to have a scan. So, to give you a bit of background to the listeners and viewers, is you, you know you were at CEO of your own company that you started, Fairway Trust in Jersey. You know you have you've got ninety, hundred plus employees. Um, life was very busy for you. Life was you know was great you've got four uh kids um the youngest being georgie who i think is seven uh, or, or going on eight just turned eight yeah turned eight and you've got 18 year old a 16 year old a 13 year old three boys so you've got all that to deal with in the background and and obviously that was very tough for them to seeing you you know diagnosed with cancer but you know you had this joy of being treated and coming through and and actually suddenly being able to, I guess, not work and enjoy your kids and have that sort of absolute joy of being around your kids and free of cancer. And then unfortunately that sort of joy turned to despair where after having a clear scan, you then have another scan and it's, 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 it's really bad news. So just tell me what it was like for that coming from remission, coming from a life of suddenly, you know, you know, not working, enjoying your kids in remission, feeling great. And then suddenly bang, you know, kicking you right back down to the earth. Yeah. Pretty shocking actually. Um, just back to what the treatment was. I had five weeks of radiotherapy with low dose chemo once a week. Um, and I tolerated it quite well. I think the game changer just worth saying is that they gave me steroids, uh, which meant I could eat um, which sort of started getting rid of the symptoms, the sort of night sweats and all of that stuff started to diminish. And I, I felt I tolerated the treatment quite well, but I didn't lose my hair, which is a whole other topic to talk about. But I didn't lose my hair last time, which is quite nice because, you know, strangers don't know that you've, you're suffering from cancer. So when I got back to Jersey in the May, you know, I had three months for the treatment to still work. And then my scan you know, my follow-up scan was going to be in the August because the radiotherapy still still is effective. And I knew because all of my tumour markers were really low that I'd probably got rid of it. So when I went for the scan in August, you know, there was no surprise to everybody, I think, that really it had gone, you know, and I cracked open the champagne and, you know, literally skipping around like it had never happened. And like you said, felt like I'd changed my life significantly, which was not to work, having worked, for 22 years solidly, you know, hardly had a day off, worked in a fairly stressful environment, but, you know, I did enjoy it as well to then, you know, feel like I was now living my best life, which was, you know, training as much as I could, um, do triathlons on the side. So I sort of was becoming, almost becoming a full-time athlete. My mission was, look, wouldn't it be great if I got back in the Jersey team? Wouldn't that be amazing if I could actually bring myself back up to a situation where I'm fit enough. Um, so I took from the August to the December to slowly run, swim, slow, slow, slow progress. And um, I had a few issues, you know, I was having a few pains that obviously you take far more seriously than ever before. And I went for the scan in December, late December. And again, 
showed absolutely nothing. So this is my PET scan and my MRI scan. Um, your PET scans when they put the sugar into your body and it basically, because cancer eats sugar, the, the sugar goes straight to the place where you've got cancer. Um, so that showed nothing. So, you know, I had a great Christmas and literally thought nothing of it. Um, actually had got back to, you know, racing, had planned a race um, and I raced on the 22nd of May in Southport. Should have pushed it harder, came 11th in my age group. You know, that's where I was mentally. I was sort of in a great place. I was now hanging out with my family much more, spending time with my children, just living my best life. So when I then went for a scan, which was what I thought was routine on the 25th of May, you know, I, th I thought nothing of it. There was some confusion over a blood test, whether I had it in London or Jersey. And all of a sudden, then my consultant, London consultant from the Marsden was chasing me down to have a meeting, which was a bit unusual. So I kind of knew something was a bit off there. So I ended up having the blood test in Jersey and we're in May half term actually this, this year. So it's the first week of June. Uh, my husband's away in New York and I'm at home with the four children and we've got A-levels going on. We've got GCSEs and my youngest boy's got common entrance. So it's sort of a slightly pressured environment. You know, everybody's busy, everybody's focused and really doesn't need me to be unwell again. And um, the consultant said, I'll, I'll, I'll speak to you tonight. So he spoke, spoke to me during what was our dinner time and I had to make excuses from the children to go to have this call which they thought was slightly unusual because um, I've said, oh, no, I have, I've got to do some work. I didn't want them to know I was talking to the consultant. And he just said, look, the um, the scan you've just had has shown that um, there's activity, which is how he described it, in your abdomen, um, a chain of lymph nodes in your abdomen and in your neck. So, I mean, I was just utter despair and disbelief. Meanwhile, I had the blood results, which I had sort of not even looked at. You know, I nonchalantly took them off the doctor who... I then gave them to my son to scan to me and I was sort of in the golf club kind of sending them off to the doctor in London and um, when I actually sat and looked at them I was pretty horrified because two of them which there was a real to do with Jersey about whether they do these tests or not one's called a CA125 and one's called a CEA and one is an ovarian cancer indicator and one's just a cancer indicator and one of them was in the 300 mark and one of them was 32 both of which way out of their comfort range. So I kind of knew, I kind of knew it was a bad story. The consultant said, look, you've done a race. Maybe it's the race. Maybe your body's just tired. Maybe, you know, give me all the reasons to not think the worst. And he said, right, let, you need to come over to London and you need to have a biopsy in your neck. We need to determine if it's the same cancer. We need to determine if it's cervical cancer now that's spread. So, this is when the whole lies begin because obviously I can't tell my children they're about to do exams. You know, I've obviously got lots of planned in my social life, you know, I've got 50ths to go to and tennis tournaments to play. And, you know, all of a sudden I'm out of action and I'm, oh no, I'm going over for a sports day or I'm, you know, making my excuses, which I kind of struggled with. And with Jersey being Jersey, you know, you go to the airport and you see all the people you're meant to be having lunch with that day, but you said you're doing something else. So you don't get, you know, you get caught up in the lies and it's all really, it was all very stressful. Yeah. So, so I think what's really interesting now, and, and hopefully this will come through in the other episodes is, is how you've, you've become your own doctor because it is a minefield getting cancer. It is a minefield of understanding because in, in different, you know, in different continents, they treat cancer quite differently. 
you know, a lot of people do use, you know, food and, and, and change your diet and, you know, all of those sort of things, which is, it's interesting how you've taken on board, you know, how to become your own doctor and how to get better. And, and hopefully, you know, your journey will, will help others who are in a similar boat, who are just, you know, maybe don't have the Jane like that we have to sort of help them on their journey. But I just want to finish off, uh, with you phone me up one day and we will talk about religion. We will talk about life and death and that sort of thing and your, your feelings on it all. But I just want to just finish off with, uh, when you phoned me up and you actually said to me, you've got um, a neighbor coming over who is is basically going to um, do a, uh, I'm going to call it some sort of spiritual healing to rid you of your uh, evil spirits or cancer or whatever. So um, I think w w rather than sort of um, tell anyone exactly what it is, I think it's best just to show a little video of that as the as the final teaser, just so that we can sort of, and we'll, you'll explain in the next episode what this guy was doing. <laughs> Okay, so we'll leave it at that, and um, I hope hope the listeners and viewers have enjoyed this our first episode. Um, I did it without crying. I was pretty good a few times, Louise. We'll come out of this smiling, hopefully. Yeah. You okay? It's just Harper's all, you know. Mm. I try to smile all the time, you know, but can't stop thinking of you all the time. We'll kick it to touch. <laughs> <laughs>